hear this from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2, starting in verse 6. It says this, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him, you also were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh and in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set, aside, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them, uh, over them in it. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Like I said, it's good to be with you and, and hated to miss last week, but I had a good restful time away and got, got to hear Katie's sermon and was so moved by it. One, because when I picked this series on Colossians, we wanted to do kind of two whole books of the Bible every year. And uh, Colossians, I just have to say, is my favorite letter in the New Testament, uh, especially the first chapter. And so it was it was great, and I, I also have to say a little bit difficult, to hand off my favorite text in all of the Bible, the first chapter of Colossians, to somebody else. And then the great gift to hear things I'd never heard before, to be reminded of the good news we find in it, to be encouraged by it, and then reminded of why I love it in the first place from such a powerful word from Katie from last week. And so again, I want to encourage you to listen to that. And then just to get this really firm foundation for us to stand on, to understand what this text is all about, what these words are all about. When we look at these booklets, and then we also have our Bible side by side, uh, this is a little more digestible. <laughs> and it's certainly easier to carry around. Uh, this wouldn't make a good doorstop, this would. Uh, this, uh, you know, has room for writing in it, and all of these do, and it's kind of knowing that this is just one work in and of itself is so encouraging and powerful, and reading it together, and, and going through it together week after week. And then it just it just begs repeating and reminding for us that this, all of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is a new thing, relatively speaking, for history, it was a technological advancement, even, for the printing press, for people to have access, and more so access now, outside of its physical reality in our world, to be able to access any part of the Bible we could uh, online, on our phones, on any device. This book, and especially these kind of mass-produced versions of them, is as technologically amazing to people in the 14th and 15th century uh, as it is for us to see the, you know, Apple goggles. Uh, really, truly, a, a huge advance in the world for people to see all of these texts that they knew about, maybe heard preached about, maybe heard referenced, but didn't possess for themselves to then say, this is, this is my Bible. There are many like it, but this one is mine, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and in this, we find, I would say, if we wanted to say what the Bible is, what these texts are, are a, a record of people who experienced the divine, who experienced God, 
and then responded to it by recording what they experienced. That's really oversimplification, but that's what we find in these pages. And as I've been, as I've been restudying Colossians and looking at it and listening to Katie's sermon and preparing the sermons ahead of time and, and looking at the text again, I'm reminded not only is it a, a record of what people believe, but a vast majority of this is correspondence, is letters, is addressed, uh, addressed to other people. Uh, other than the Psalms, which are addressed to God, everything else is addressed to other people by people who had experienced God. Even in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these first century biographies of Jesus, Luke and Acts, for instance, they're addressed to this person named Theophilus. And John, which starts out with this beautiful poem, concludes by saying, like, this is why I wrote you these things. They have an addressee, they have a recipient. And then, of course, the vast majority of the New Testament are, in fact, letters, like things that we send in envelopes. They're likely scrolls or papyrus stacked together. We're sent to specific communities like Colossae, so we read for the letter of Colossians, or the Romans, or the Ephesians, or to specific people, First and Second Timothy, or by specific people, First and Second Peter. And even, even Revelation, even in the story of Revelation, if we dare dive into its craziness, has in its narrative letters, Letters like the one we read today, written to churches, and not fun letters, not birthday cards, <laughs> uh, often warnings and challenges, and a lot like this letter to the Colossians, reminders of why they exist, why they're a community together, why they should even listen to this person named Paul. The New Testament, and actually a lot of the Bible other than the New Testament, is correspondence. And I would argue, taking that word really literally, that the Christian faith, to follow Jesus, is a faith, is a religion of correspondence. That when the first people experienced the resurrection and, then, and, and, and saw Jesus risen from the dead, they corresponded with others and told them the good news. In fact, Jesus told them to go, go and, and, and share the good news and make disciples of all nations, correspond with all nations, send letters to all nations. And Paul took that seriously. He started these new communities and he corresponded with them to give them instruction. And ones that he didn't even know, he corresponded with them to say, hey, you don't know me, but listen to me. <laughs> it's correspondence, it's a religion of correspondence. And, and now, even now, many of us, if we follow Jesus, it's as a result of someone's correspondence with us. Maybe our, our parents' correspondence that they shared, as Paul writes, this gift, this receiving of faith from another correspondence. And then likewise, the challenge for us to share in our word and deed, to correspond with others, this good news, this story that changes everything for us in correspondence. When I came in uh, the parking lot this morning pretty early, there was a line of charter buses in the parking lot. Uh, to go to one of my favorite childhood places, Camp Ozark. Any Camp Ozark alum here? Nice. What tribe are you? Nice. I was, didn't want to have to boo you today. Any Caddo? Boo. Boo Caddo. Uh, Mel makes some enemies today. Who cares? Uh, they're, they're out there, all their parents, the kids are excited to get on the bus, and I was reminded of my own experience at Camp Ozark uh, and how formative it was for me and how excited I was to go and, frankly, how sometimes um, upset I was to leave. And I'm reminded of this story. It's one of those my parents like to tell to embarrass me, uh, but it kind of gives you a little insight in my character as a child. Uh, that we couldn't make phone calls. I didn't have a cell phone then. Uh, we couldn't make phone calls to our parents. 
Not that I would have, uh, but we could write them postcards. In fact, we were all given a free postcard and encouraged to, to write our parents. And my postcard went something like this. And it, I think they probably gave us a model. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. Today I went on the blob. If you've not been, you don't know. That's kind of an insider thing. I went on the blob, and then I went to the skate park. Uh, and we sang this song, and I really liked it. And this is how I ended my postcard, my correspondence with my parents. Please send me a package. <laughs> uh, I was in it for something. And I remember it was because other people in my cabin, they got packages from their parents, and I didn't get a package. Uh, so that was my motivation for sending them. I was reminded of that this morning. I was thinking about correspondence. I was also reminded of uh, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, famous author. I saw this letter of his today. Um, he was writing his dad for money. He was 15 years old. It says this, it's similar to send me a package. Thursday, respected paternal relative. <laughs> I write to make a request of the most moderate nature. <laughs> Every year I have cost you an enormous, nay, elephantine sum of money for drugs and physician's fees. And this is drugs like medication. Just want to clarify. And the most expensive time of the 12 months was March. His dad probably already knows that. <laughs> but this year, the biting blast, the howling tempest, and the general ailments of the human race have been successfully braved by yours truly. <laughs> Does not this deserve remuneration? <laughs> I appeal to your charity. I appeal to your generosity. I appeal to your justice. I appeal to your accounts. Just get that one in there. I appeal in fine to your purse. <laughs> My sense of generosity forbids the receipt of more. My sense of justice forbids the receipt of less than half a crown. <laughs> Greetings from Sir, your most affectionate and needy son, Robert Stevenson. Beautiful. I'm, I'm going to use that when I need some money. You know, <laughs> dear parental, a paternal relative. Very nice. Um, Correspondence. It's, it's how we, we, we express our intimacy and connection with somebody else. It might even be how we manipulate that intimacy with somebody else to get money or to get a package at camp, maybe even to get advice. In the literary world, you, you might read the letters of a famous author to get insight of their world and how they understood the world, why they wrote a novel the way they did. When I studied James Joyce, I read a lot of his letters, and I thought about reading one of those today, and they're not for church. Uh, and so now you're all going to Google it and find out why. Have fun. Uh, but not just that. To get advice, we might read editorial uh, letters, these kind of public letters, which the New Testament writings are. And there's this song uh, by John Prine that I think is an emblematic uh, example of what these letters are like. This song is called Dear Abby uh, by John Prine. He says, Dear Abby, dear Abby, my feet are too long. My hair's falling out and my rights are all wrong. My friends, they all tell me I have no friends at all. Once you write me a letter, once you give me a call. Signed, bewildered. Abby writes back in the song. Bewildered, bewildered, you have no complaint. You are what you are and you ain't what you ain't. So listen up, buster, and listen up good. Stop wishing for bad luck and knocking on wood. Signed, dear Abby. There's a intimacy to correspondence, that you, you, you trust someone else, this, give this vulnerability to someone else to give you advice. 
And maybe the advice isn't what you expected or hoped it would be. Maybe it's a, a push or a, a, a poke or a challenge to you to live your life in a different way or to see your circumstances in a different way, to see who you really are, what your identity is, and not what you hope it would be, and to see maybe you have no complaint, as dear Abby says, and that maybe you're, you're thinking too much about your circumstance. All of that in the mix, all of that idea of how we use correspondence on our own time by email or text message or these letters maybe that you write a loved one. Tell us about Paul's posture to the Colossians. Dear Colossians, as Katie reminded us last week, you're in a, a situation that's difficult. You're in a, in a time where you have external pressures around you that are going to, to distract you and maybe make you forget what you've been taught. Paul talk, talks a lot about this faith that they've received not that they've made up or, or edified themselves, but they've been given as a gift in this person of Jesus. And, and these are the things. Paul's not asking for money, at least not in this letter. And he's not, his advice and his guidance isn't as harsh as it is in some letters, but these are kind of the main points from, from his correspondence today to the Colossians. First and foremost, the very foundation of what Paul says in the second chapter of Colossians is if you, if you go back a few verses, he expresses his own need and desire to be with them in, in, in real life in the present. I can't be with you, but if I were with you, this is what I would say. That you have a gift of life in Jesus Christ. Uh, operative word, primary word is gift. This life that you live isn't yours, it belongs to God and he's given it to you, so you live this life of gratitude. Uh, don't be swayed by vain philosophies, is what one translation says. And it's not philosophy in general, but these things that are human-centered and not God-centered. That, and the same time you've inherited good words about who Jesus is and who God is for you, the same time, in the same life, you've inherited some lies about who you are. That you're not worth anything. That nobody would die for you. That, that, that you're unequal with someone else. That you're not important. That God is too preoccupied with somebody else to care about you. Uh, Jason Isbell, uh, singer-songwriter, his new album came out Friday, recommend it to you, and he has this song, kind of one of the main songs on the record, called Cast Iron Skillet. And it's about this, these myths and these lies that we've inherited. And the, the hook, the chorus, kind of goes like this. Uh, Don't wash the cast iron skillet. Something people say, is that these people have grody cast iron skillets on their stove. <laughs> and it says, don't drink and drive, you'll spill it. <laughs> Not good advice. <laughs> Uh, and it goes on and on to describe all these things that a person inherits, and, and then they've learned to live a different way. And Paul is saying, you've inherited all this bad advice. Keep your life focused on Jesus. Remember that the foundation of reality is not a what, but a who. That it's, it's not uh, ideas. It's not the political system you find yourself in. It's certainly not Caesar. It's not even your own family or your own work or your own success. The foundation of reality is a person, and his name is Jesus. Uh, Remember, he also says, you're marked. Uh, the example, the metaphor he uses is circumcision. And Paul, in his encouragement, says, this mark is actually deeper and less physically painful <laughs> and reminds you that you belong to God and he to you, that you're part of God's family. And, it, and it's changed everything about who you are. And at the same time, dear Colossians, your life and your death is bound to the one who reigns, the one who, who lived who is tempted in every single way that we are tempted, who was then executed in this horrific and actually shameful way and then rose again, that you have a part in that. It's not that you've, you've worked your way to achieve it. 
It's not that you take steps to then emulate it necessarily, but that it was done for you on your behalf and then likewise does something in you and changes your life, changes your conduct, changes how you treat one another, changes, in fact, as Paul describes, how you treat even the ones who wish to harm you and hurt you and betray you. All of those things. He says, dear Colossians, if I could boil down his encouragements in these verses from 6 to 15 is remember who you are. Remember to whom you belong. Remember that this faith that you have is a gift. And as you've received it as a gift, you live your life in every aspect as a life of gratitude. As a life of one who, who, who's reminded that God and his love for us initiated, as Katie reminded us last week, initiated the relationship. Corresponded with us, not from afar. He didn't send a messenger. He didn't send a letter. He didn't drop a book out of a sky. He sent a person himself, in human flesh, in Jesus Christ, to say, dear humanity, (laughs) this is who you are, this is who I am. Uh, There's nothing you can do about it. Stanley Hauerwas, he's a professor at Duke, he says, um, uh, Jesus is Lord and everything else is just BS. Uh, And you you should listen to his voice. I mean, he really says it, (laughs) gruff. He's getting that from Paul. Dear Colossians, no matter how hard you try to resist your identity in Christ, it is who you are, and you can't shake it. If you don't think you're worthy of it, you're wrong. If you you think you can earn something past it, you can't. If you think you can dream up something better, there's no way. Dear Colossians, and likewise dear Christians, and dear branches, and dear people who follow Jesus, or people who long to follow Jesus, or people who aren't sure about Jesus, or don't know Jesus, or don't want to be religious, the good news of the gospel is there's nothing you can do about what Christ has done for you. Whether you know it or like it or not, whether you used to believe it and don't believe it anymore, whether you're trying to believe it, no matter what state you find yourself in, the challenge that Paul gives is that the good news of the gospel, the good news of this one who's bound his life to us, doesn't ask us to take steps and do the top 10 things to then become a good Christian. It says it's already been done and you already are this way. There's a, there's a, a band called My Epic and they have this beautiful song about this, this good news. And one of the lines that just hits me so hard thinking about this idea is they say, I'm tired of striving to be who you already say that I am. That's the central message of Colossians. You already are who God says you are and you may resist it and you may forget it and people actually may tell you otherwise that you're worth nothing, that you don't belong, that God doesn't love you, or there is no God, how could he love you if he doesn't exist, and this Jesus person actually isn't a good person to emulate, and Paul says, actually, Jesus is Lord, he's triumphed over everything you've ever worried about, he's triumphed over everything you could possibly worry about in the future, and he calls you friend, and took on flesh to be with you, not to get away from you, and he speaks even now, by his spirit, the good news deep into your heart, Dear whoever you are, dear Houstonian, dear mom, dear dad, dear friend, you are who you are, and you ain't who you ain't, as John Prine says. So stop trying to find every reason you can to abandon it or forget it or resist it. God loves you. The correspondence that God gives us isn't one always of judgment and challenge, though sometimes it is, but it's all to the end, it's all to the goal, it's all to point to this one thing, to this one good news, that our life is inextricably bound to God's in Jesus Christ, and that God did that. And we don't have to earn it, 
We don't have to stand on the street, street corner and beg for it, but as Paul says, we live a life of gratitude because it's a done deal, because it is reality. Uh, probably for, I don't know, the next year, I, I'm not gonna be able to shake the story of Tim Keller, uh, who just recently passed away, giant of the Christian faith, uh, and just listen to his sermons and just the gift that he's given to the world by his teaching and example to say this simple thing as he always says in most all of his sermons and how every podcast of his sermons end is the gospel changes everything. This good news of who God says you are changes everything about who you are. And Tish Harrison Warren is an Anglican priest and she often writes to the New York Times, these editorials. And after he passed away, she wrote an editorial about his correspondence with her and she had written an article in the New York Times that was kind of um, uh, politically centered and kind of questioning how Christians dealt with politics, and she was taking a lot of heat for it, and she got an unexpected correspondence, an email from Tim Keller, encouraging her, praising her, uh, saying that he, he was praying for her, and then after that, he would regularly call her, sometimes to argue with her because they were in different religious traditions, He's in one that didn't ordain or support women in leadership, and here she is, an Anglican priest. But she says that she learned how to be a grateful, thankful example of somebody who encouraged other people, who corresponded with other people who didn't know it or want it, to care about this good news, this trust in, this gift of this person who's the foundation of all things, Jesus. And I encourage you to find her article about him that just came out a few weeks ago. Because it, it's this, that somebody embodied, Tim Keller embodied what it meant to be a corresponding person. And that's, that's what I want for us at Branches. That's what I think Col Colossians is encouraging us to do so many centuries later, is to be a people of correspondence who share the good news willfully, recklessly with the world that you are who you are because God says you are. And that you're loved and you have value and you're created with a purpose and God sees you and hears you and cares for you. And to say again in the words of John Prine, dear branches, dear branches, you have no complaint. You are what you are, you ain't what you ain't. So listen up, buster, and listen up good. Stop wishing for bad luck and knocking on wood. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. Everything else is BS, and there's nothing you can do about it. And thanks be to God for that. Let's pray.